Bienvenidos al Mestizo Podcast, the show for the mixed people of the mixed church. On this podcast, we explore the complicated challenges of being part of, serving in, and growing a migrant church in el siglo XXI. As first-generation immigrants age out of their leadership and the Mestizo Church transitions to the second and third generation, how does the migrant church continue to thrive? What should a migrant church look like today? These are the questions that we explore and more with your hosts, Emmanuel Padilla y la doctora Elizabeth Conde-Fraser. Your hosts are Puerto Ricans, so you're going to hear some Spanglish de vez en cuando here on the Mestizo Podcast. It's part of who we are. In this episode, we welcome you back to the show and introduce the new theme for the season. So sientas en casa, make yourself at home, and let's get started. Elizabeth, what's up? Hey. Always looking into interesting things. Once When you think you know things, and all of a sudden you find out there's stuff you don't know. Can you believe this is season three of the Mestizo podcast? No, I can't believe it because I only uh, told you I was going to do one season and maybe even just one episode. So here we are, season three, and I'm not believing it. That's literally what I was thinking about. I was like, man, she signed on for barely an episode. Like I was like, ah, we think we're going to try this. And here we are on season three. You, uh, What you've been studying lately? What have you been uh, reading or thinking about? Actually, I was helping someone um, do a demon project. And in order to do that, we started reading together a very interesting book. Uh, it's a history book written by an investigative journalist, and it um, it's called The War Against All Puerto Ricans. And it looks particularly at a very difficult segment of time in Puerto Rico around the late 40s and the 50s when the nationalists um, really uh, were ready to, to uh, start a revolution in order to have independence. It's the era of Alviso Campos. It's um, the time when uh, Luis Muñoz Marín became um, governor. Mm -hmm. It's all of the dynamics. So there's a lot going on. And you can't read that book fast, bro. I it's bet. a narrative. It's an easy read, but you got to read it slowly because you got to take in all of what's taking place. You really got to take it in slow. Your soul can't take it all at once. I'm not sure I'm ready. I'm not sure I'm ready. But I'll give it a try. I'll give it a try. Look, you can't do decolonizing without doing that book. What kind? What an endorsement. Let me tell you, if you're a new, uh, if you're a new listener to the podcast, let me welcome you into a mixed space, a space where people live in the hyphen, ni de aquí ni de allá. We like to say, and uh, not from here or from there. We're excited you're joining us. And in case you missed it, uh, let me recommend, even for our old listeners, I know there's a few of you that took the break and have been waiting for the third season. But we actually released a few bonus episodes, some that include guests like uh, music producer Cardic Drums. Uh, we did a couple introductions to some of World Outspoken's other podcasts like La Ventanita and Mixtape. So let me recommend that you go back and check some of those bonus episodes because I think you'll be finding uh, a lot of interesting things related to what World Outspoken is up to. And it relates to some of the things that we're studying. We've talked about certain books and experiences as well there. There's two other cool things that I need to tell you about related to World Outspoken. The first is actually linked in our show notes, and you can actually go to our homepage, worldoutspoken.com. World Outspoken just launched a merch store where you can purchase different uh, podcast-related merch to support the shows and also to rep that you're a part of the church in the hyphen. I'm actually wearing one of the hoodies right now, and it's the softest thing I've ever worn. It's a white hoodie that says, ni da ki, ni da ya, um, and it's easily, easily the softest, most comfortable hoodie that I own. Uh, so again, you can go to 
the link in the show notes or go right onto our homepage, worldlastspoken.com and click the store. You can get things like t-shirts, mugs, hoodies, notepads, stickers, hay un poquito de todo. And we'll be adding merch regularly to the store. So make sure to check that out so that you can rep the church in the hyphen, the, mig- the migrant church, la iglesia metisa, all those different in-between folks that make up part of the World Outspoken community. And then there's one other announcement that I need to tell you about before we get into the meat of the show. So last season, Elizabeth, you'll remember that last season, World Outspoken did a series of webinars in partnership with a ministry called Passion to Plant. Autora Liz Rios, shout out to her. She's one of our favorite people. Uh, she partnered with World Outspoken, her ministry, Passion to Plant, and World Outspoken partnered to do a series of webinars that actually went deeper into some of the topics that we talk about into, in the podcast. Some people have asked us if we're going to do another series of webinars this season that deal similarly to what we did last season. And in fact, we're not doing that because World Lost Spoken's just launched something that I'm super excited to tell you about. If you go to learn.worldoutspoken.com, that's learn.worldoutspoken.com, you can actually visit, for the first time ever, newly launched World Outspoken's Learning Center. I'll tell you just real quick about that before we get into the meat of the show. The Learning Center is going to be a space where you can take online classes, either self-directed and coming soon in groups with local people at your church, where you can actually enroll in classes that deal with the topics that are at the top of your minds as ministers in migrant congregations. Just to give you an example, you can already take a course by Dr. Joan Solis Walker and other experts like her who deal with topics that that you're currently uh, facing as challenges. Uh, Joan Solis Walker's course is called Congregational Culture, or sorry, Congregational Culture and Change Readiness. Uh, you can also take, and this is one that I just recently finished, uh, you can take Lingua Franca, Spanglish as the New Tongue with Dr. Itzel Medurisoto. That course is incredible, and I'll tell you why. Instead of just talking about learning Spanish or learning English or dealing with the tensions that exist between uh, people at a migrant church based on language. Dr. Meduri Soto actually deals with the language ideologies, the ways that we feel, the ways that we think about language. So, you know, you, you know, la ancianita at church that says, you know, el español, uh, vamos a hablar español en el cielo, right? We're, we're going to speak Spanish in heaven, right? That that's the celestial tongue, right? Uh, those reflect, those kinds of comments reflect a language ideology, a belief we have about the languages that we speak. And Dr. Meduri Soto does an amazing job of helping us to understand those language ideologies and helping us to understand how we might work through those ideologies together as congregations so that we can have a shared tongue, so that we can learn to talk to one another. It's an amazing class. You can check out that one, Dr. Joan Solis Walker's course, and many others, some that are forthcoming here later in the summer. You can go to learn.worldoutspoken.com to take a class with us. The link's also in the show notes. So those are all of my announcements before we get started. Uh, Elizabeth, did I miss anything? No, I think you got it all. I'm all excited about some of these courses myself. And some of them are really great. Like I said, the one with the one with Meluri Soto left me a changed person. But let's talk about this season. You know, in the first season of this show, we dealt with the intergenerational conflicts that face migrant churches. We asked several of our guests to talk about the ways that language affects their relationship, cultural identity, the way that it affects their relationship to their congregations. And then we talked to our guests about how they pursue 
healthy, multi-generational or intergenerational ministries. And then in season two, complicamos la cosa bastante, no? We, we made things much more complicated when we started talking about the interracial, uh, the multiracial dynamics that exist in una iglesia, a migrant or Latina church. We had guests like Nathan Cartagena, Robert Chao Romero joined us for a second episode. Uh, we had some Afro-Latinas. We had Willie Jennings join us to talk about some of the ways that they navigate questions of race and how that affects the church. But in season three, we actually want to do something a little bit different. We actually, in this season, are going to focus on Las Dinámicas Entre Nosotros. It's the title of this episode, The Dynamics Between Us. Because there's a lot that goes on between us that informs who we are, who we think ourselves to be, and informs the ways that we relate to one another, relate to God, relate to our spouses, relate to our neighbor. There's dynamics between us that affect that. Let me just tell you a quick story to explain what I mean. And then Elizabeth, uh, you can help me flesh out this idea. Every once in a while, I think back to one of my, er my first jobs that I ever had. My first big boy job, you know, hired out of college, first big boy job that I had. And there was a, a co-worker that I had that I just was convinced that this was the worst human that existed on the planet. Like, I just did not like this person. And there was lots of conflict and there was lots of um, jabs back and forth, et cetera, et cetera. Now that years have passed and I look back on that, um, that first kind of job that I had and the relationship that I had with this particular person, I kind of wish that I could see this person now shake their hand and say, I didn't do, I didn't do good by you because there was something about the dynamic between us that brought something out of me. It was just like, like, oh, I'm ready to fight this person in ways that I wouldn't have been with anybody else, right? There was something about the registers that were there, something about the ways that we read one another, right? That affected the dynamic between us in ways that were hard to discern at the time, that I can only re really discern looking back now and going, man, I miss there. And so there are some of these unspoken things or unadmitted things that we want to bring up in the conversations this season, even if they make things a little bit uncomfortable. What do you think about that, Elizabeth? I think that's uh, really bringing it home. I think that we've talked about things in more abstract ways. And although we can relate to some of the issues that we've talked about, we haven't gone really deep to where those places are in our soul, where are some of the healings that we need, and where are they invisible to us? and yeah. how it is that they uh, sort of represent themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that as we're going to be looking at each one of our um, different guests who are with us and having conversations about some of these topics, uh, both you and I are going to have to become more aware of how those pieces touch us. And um, we hope that as our audience, you will also become more aware and that you'll be willing to allow yourself to be um, touched in those places, to be impacted. But as Emmanuel has just said, that we're doing it so that you can have a space for reflection. Um, if something happens in your life and you don't reflect on it, it can't become an experience. And it's from experiences that we gain wisdom. So something that you don't reflect on is just a happening. 
That's right. It's not, it doesn't turn into experience. And we cannot therefore um, garner the true wisdom from it. So I think that this next season, what we're looking for is for people to have that space for deeper reflection, for uh, that deeper space, um, and for that that reflection to turn into wisdom in us. Yeah, amen. As you say wisdom, you know, one of the things, again, we're, we're getting personal this season, so I'm, I'm going to say some things about myself here as we think about the dynamics for us as hosts, right? As we enter mm-hmm. the season, the dynamics that work for us as hosts. You know, one of the things that I've had to admit now that now that I'm married, right, and have have a conversation partner that's that's with me all day, every day, right? Not all day, every day, but you know what I mean. In my face, in ways that others wouldn't be. I've had to admit, yo, I always think there's a villain somewhere in my story, right? I always reflect on my identity in relation to I'm not that person or those people, right? I am this way because I'm definitely not that way. Right. And there's been that dynamic of framing villainous characters, opposites. Right. So that my identity is always shaped oppositionally. And I've had to work through that and what that means and whether or not that's even healthy in some respects. And it's been interesting to think about that as it relates to the things we talk about in this show. Right. As we deal with issues of justice, as we deal with, uh, I'm going to say it right, brothers and sisters in the church that we, we think have deeply flawed theological convictions as it relates to issues of race or justice, intergenerational dynamics, language, right? There there are ways in which it gets hard to pursue fellowship because of the ways I'm used to framing the dynamic of that relationship, really oppositionally. And I think that the time in which we're living makes it even more difficult. Uh, the way that we interact with each other on social media continues to thrive on that, right? And it can even be, um, I'm going to say this, it can even be confused for being prophetic. And we're not discerning that um, to be prophetic is not just to be in your face denouncing, but um, prophets had a responsibility for making sure that others really listened so yeah. that they could change hearts. And we're being irresponsible in terms of that part of the prophetic. Um, you are already I've, preaching. I've learned to really listen to people that um, I looked upon as being oppositional. So, you know, when it came to people who just didn't do women in the church, um, I recently had to teach a course with uh, an all-male class who came from a group that um, does not ordain women. And I had to teach on issues of um, discrimination against women and issues of racism uh, and gender discrimination. So it was a very, uh, what I had imagined was a very conservative group, but I promised myself that I was going to listen and that I wasn't going to um, position myself in that oppositional kind of a way. I mean, I can't teach pedagogically be responsible if I do that. That's right. And I found a totally different way of creating a pedagogy of confianza. And what came from that was 
they were able to say things that they had not even heard themselves thinking. It brought, it they became, were able to bring out pieces of themselves that normally don't became, come up. Yeah, and it became a very relational and transformational space. Praise God. And that's what I'm hoping that as we speak about some of these issues in this next season, that it will become a transformational space for us. Yeah. And now that you bring up that issue specifically, Elizabeth, you know, in this first episode of the season, we want to talk about three dynamics, really. The dynamic between us as hosts, you and I, the dynamic between us and you, our listener, and then dynamics between us and our guests. That's that's where we're going to go. That's the order for us in this in this first episode. But this dynamic between you and I, Elizabeth, you just kind of brought it up here. You know, when we first started this show, I was still teaching at Moody. And one of the reasons I wasn't sure how that first season would go and whether or not you would stay on after that, I was really worried about the fact that, you know, we recorded, people don't know this, the first episode of the Mestizo podcast was recorded in person in a, in a little studio that I got access to at Moody, actually. And I remember Elizabeth greets me when she gets to the campus, she greets me and, uh, and she says, she says, I know the history of this place. So this is the first time I've ever walked onto this campus. And I remember my, my alarm just went, you know, way up to, to way up to 10, just like, oh no, what, you know, how is she, how do I make sure to make space and, and to care for that, that um, suspicion well, well-deserved suspicion, by the way. How do I, how do I care for that and, and allow space for that to breathe? And then, of course, that same first season, we had a professor from Moody join us for an episode, Professor Kerwin Rodriguez. He joined us. He joined um, Patora Sara Gautier. We had also Angelica Barahona with us in that episode, and we mm-hmm. talked about the role of women in ministry. And I remember, uh, I'm, I'm showing you how the sausage is made here, y'all. I'm, I'm giving you some background story. But I remember Elizabeth took the time before we hit record and started started the conversation for that episode. She took the time to separately talk to Professor Rodriguez and say, hey, let's talk about how this can be a safe space for both of us to interact. And I remember my mind was blown. I was just like... I, I don't know how you're you're doing this because this is such a different dynamic. And it, but if you remember, I also talked to the women. You did, yeah, definitely. Right, definitely. I needed to know where they were at, what they felt safe talking about or not. Yeah. Um, you know that was important. Yeah. That we honor where people are at and why they're there. So so let me ask, one of the dynamics that's been between us that has evolved and has been changing has been. A theological dynamic, mm-hmm. the theological history of the things that have shaped you and your experiences in ministry, and the ones that have shaped me. I know what I was thinking in those moments, but I'm wondering what what was maybe going through your mind as we navigated that first season. I think I was being careful. Um, I, you know, when you work with someone. Um, you're aware of the fact that you're bringing, you want to bring particular gifts, you want to bring uh, positive pieces. And um, that means that you have to honor where someone's coming from. I didn't really know where you stood on many pieces, on many issues. Um, I knew that you had grown up being much more conservative than I had grown up being. Um, And I knew from the beginning that we were going to see things uh, very differently. And I had to ask myself where I was going to put that part of myself. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I've always tried to be responsible uh, pedagogically and responsible to honor where people are at. I've worked with uh, very conservative groups. I've worked with very liberal groups, right? So in a sense, I'm too, I'm too liberal to be conservative and too conservative to be liberal. Well, um, <laughs> right. Makes so two talk of about, us. So talk about, you know, the in-betweenness. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. part of it as well. But um, no, I, I think that I, I navigated slowly with you and yeah. looked at where you were going and why. And, and the fact that we were able to have um, conversations off uh, line with one another about things before we got into it was very important. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I find so funny about that first season, it's not the same going forward, but that first season, as I reflect back on it, especially as it relates to these theological issues, not only was there kind of theological diversity between you and I, but the intergenerational dynamic, it was interesting to see how it developed because there were instances where the take, the position that you would take on an issue would be the opposite of what might be expected. So for instance, I would be the kind of the the oldie fartsy dude who's like, no, 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 la cosa se hacen así. This like old school, <laughs> right? I was the one kind of like, no, 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 se hacen así, punto y coma y se acabo, right? And you'd be the one going, yeah, but why can't those things change? Which is, you know, most people caricature that to be the youthful question. So there was kind of this inverted, not always, but there were occasions where the intergenerational dynamic inverted. And I remember in that first season being like, well, this could be, this could be really helpful to us because I found myself challenged in the ways that I assumed that people would operate with a younger person involved in a project. You know, I assumed that I'd have to be pushing or prodding to get things to go a certain way. And you were always willing to engage me in ways that I hadn't seen. It was very healing to me, to be honest, um, where in other instances, I was told, you're the young one and you don't know. Wait your turn and learn. Does that make sense? And and you never quite approached that with me. You always were open to the possibility of difference in ways that really challenged me. I think that um, that comes that comes because of two things that comes because when you are in that space that I just uh, defined as being too liberal to be conservative and too conservative to be liberal, you have to be looking at both sides of things and you have to be flexible and you're always looking for the places of convergence. And you understand that convergence is what makes dialogue civil and what helps us to create together in a space, in ways where you don't have to be tirihala, right? But in ways that we can say, you know what, this can work for everyone. And the other thing is that for me, working intergenerationally, one of my biggest commitments because of one of my uh, convictions, and this is a, a conviction for me, Emmanuel, is that no matter the age, you are a servant of God. And as such, I have to honor, and I really mean honor, and of course with honor goes respect, and with respect goes listening. It's a conviction that I have that you are a servant of God. I can't touch you 
in ways that are going to be negative because you are a servant of God. You belong to God. Amen. So how I touch your life is very important to me. It's very important to me. It's a conviction that I hold when I work with persons, and especially when I work with persons who are younger than I. That's a real conviction. And that means that even if I'm mentoring, right, I'm not superimposing myself on that person. My shadow doesn't come upon you because I don't have that right. The only one who can touch you is God. Amen. That I've seen that and have lived that. By, by the way, what you said there about people of different ages being servants of God reminded me, you know, quick shout out to Pastor uh, Carlos Borges, who Puerto Rican guy here in pastor here in the city of Chicago. I remember one time I was uh, at his church and he was preaching a sermon and he said, he, he said about the children in the church, he said, we need to stop acting like children have children size portions of the Holy Spirit. If they're Christians, they have the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mind was blown. It was just, mm-hmm. this is such a good insight into they can serve the Lord. They have this, if, they, if they've come to faith, they can serve the Lord. It's not like they have the, a miniature version of the Holy Spirit. Well, now those he's uh, pequeña, right? That doesn't make any sense. And so it was really interesting. Now, th- there's one other thing I wanted to ask you about as it relates to our dynamic. Before we talk about our dynamic with the audience that we serve uh, and that we're in community and conversation with, but our approaches to our vocations, speaking of this intergenerational piece, you're in a different space or place in relation to your vocation than I am, mm-hmm. not just because you're a woman in ministry, but also because you've got more experience in the, in the vocation than I do, right? You're, you're more seasoned, si lo puedo decir así. You got <laughs> more so, miles on me, yeah. You got more miles. <laughs> <laughs> so I've wondered how that has shaped the ways that you think about and approach the conversations that we've had on the show and the conversations that we've had about shaping the show. Let let me um, place one more layer on what you have said. And that is that um, not only are we in different places in our vocation, and not only is that vocational journey different for both of us, right? But um, the context, the time in which my journey begins is different than yours. That's true. My generation was a generation where we had to open doors that didn't exist, that were firmly shut. We had to work against, um, we had to really work to make things happen. Um, And I've had to, over the years, learn to put away uh, the person in me that's a street fighter, if, if you will, right? Uh, because we really had to push open doors, come into very inhospitable places, learn to resist, and learn to deal with our rage. Because you don't go through all that and not have rage in you. So we had to keep our rage at bay, thinking about those who would come after us. We couldn't mess things up because other people were going to come after us. We had to lay out ground as much as we could, knowing that some of the ground that we were laying out, 
the minute that we weren't there, someone was just going to, you know, cover the tracks and mm -hmm. act like it never happened. So we had to lay out that ground in such a way that it could be easy for someone to find it, very difficult for somebody to put that away. And that was being very strategic. And part of the strategy was learning how to keep our rage at bay because coming into your voice, which is what a lot of us were having to learn to do, right? And especially for me as a woman. Um, you know, as a woman in ministry, whenever you go to a, an event, and I'm going to get a little graphic here. Whenever you go to an event, the woman's bathroom is always crowded. Whenever I went to a minister's event, the woman's bathroom was completely isolated. I mean, I could hear the echo of my pee in that place. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> when you said graphic, that's not what I thought you were going to say, but okay. You could hear the echo. And and then, and, and what I would do in faith, my brother, you're going to think I'm crazy. I used to, I used to stand by the sink and look at myself all by myself in that place, washing my hands. And I would make believe I was talking to other women. And I kept telling myself in faith, one day I'm going to be here and I am going to be talking to other women. And Amen. we're going to be having the conversations that we always have, you know. So people used to hang. And, and let me tell you, I could talk loud. Like, you know, it was really happening. So people used to hang outside the door and say, con quien tu habla? And I would tell them, oh, I'm having a faith conversation. I'm talking with all the women that are coming. So watch out because we're coming in tribes. I love that. I'm having a faith conversation. I'm having a faith conversation. Have you watched In the Heights? <laughs> Have I've you seen not, in the Heights? I've not been able to see in the Heights. Oh man. So you gotta watch it. But there's a scene um that relates to what you said that I want to get your take on real quick. This is an aside, we didn't plan on this, but something you said brought this up. There's a scene where a daughter who's in college, she's like, you know, the, her name is Nina. She's like the all-star of the community, you know, the best student at all the scholarships, went to the best school. She's back home. And she tells her dad that she's been experiencing racism on campus. And her dad says, Chacha, you proved them wrong by getting good grades and pressing on. You know, like you, you put aside your rage kind of thing. And she goes, y'all could do that because you guys together gathered and just pressed on. But what I'm alone in this Ivy League school, right? I'm alone in this thing. I can't do that. And so she's she's sort of having to justify her ability to be rageful. And I wonder about how that plays out in this sort of intergenerational dynamic that we're talking about, right? Because I, I have, I, there's an instance that I think about kind of regularly. There was a, a mentor of mine when I first took my position at Moody, who, you know, I, I was really upset about certain things that were going on and some of the experiences I was having. And this mentor told me, you're being too sensitive about that stuff. And I went, excuse you? What do you mean too sensitive? And I remember saying to him going, y'all went through this so that we could now call this out, not so that we can just keep perpetually letting it be. And I wonder about, again, how the different generations should experience their rage. Strategically. In each time, strategically. And of course, it has to do with who we are as people. And I think that in the movie, you saw a piece that was very important. Um, we have to be connected to community. You have to stay connected to community if you're yeah. going to be able to deal with rage, right? Yeah. 
because rage is rage is very real when when you are if i have the way I've, i have um illustrated this is the following i'll take a person and have them stand on you know on all fours on the stage and then i'll have 15 people come and sit on them <laughs> what is this for yeah. real yeah <laughs> right i'll have 15 people come and sit on them and you know i usually get you know someone who's a big sturdy you know hunky person who does a lot of exercise and you know they like they, they they're coming out of their shirt you know their yeah their muscles are coming out of their shirt and i have that person come on all fours on the on the stage but then i have 15 people come and sit on him and that person uh as more and more people are sitting there and trying to keep him down that person gets angrier and angrier and the only way that you can come out is to call out to call out the the, the strength in yourself but it's a more primitive strength in yourself right sure so that you're going ah! you know and sort of any and and that's what people have to do to get all 15 folk off of them and they gotta hulk out they have to hulk out right and so there's an angry part because after a while even though you're doing this as an illustration these people sitting on you it begins to hurt it begins to be very real etc and if there's something in you it's going to come out so how do you want to you know that's that's what it feels like yeah, when you're oppressed, and you're coming into who you are, um, and you're trying to come out of that, and you're trying to come into yourself and your voice, etc. It's that dynamic that's taking place. So rage is a necessary part, but what you do with that rage is important, right? Uh, rage is an energy. Yeah, it's an energy. And if it becomes destructive to others, don't look now, but it's becoming destructive to you as well. Amen. So you want to make sure that you take that energy and it's, it's Holy Spirit driven energy is the energy that drove Jesus to lash out in the temple and whip people. Whip. Yeah. Right. So you want to use it in a way that's going to have a positive impact in the end. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it destroys you and destroys others. So let's talk about that in relation to the, the dynamic that we have with our audience. Because one of the things that I find interesting and real talk sometimes complicated about, you know, I, I've, I've really wrestled with this one. There have been, there have been, conversations I've had with people who listen to the Mestizo podcast and we have listeners. They're amazing. I, I mean, amazing. There was a pastor that I just talked to two weeks ago that I sat down, met with him. He had been listening to the Mestizo podcast. He felt like he was on an island. He was talking to me about how this thing was like a breath of fresh, fresh air to go, oh, I'm not the only one. And, and so we've had so many experiences like that. We've, we've told y'all the stories before, so I don't want to beat, beat a dead horse here. But at the same time, I've also had conversations where people in our audience, because of this rage element that you brought up, Elizabeth, as it relates to the theological diversity, they're going, y'all haven't gone far enough or y'all haven't X, Y, Z, right? And it's always been interesting because it cuts both ways. There's either y'all have gone too far, right? Or y'all haven't gone far enough, either, either one, but it comes out as this sort of, 
real frustration that I think has to do with the dynamic of their ministry context and how it relates to us as those that they're hearing and being in conversation with. And I've, I've really wrestled with that tension. That's not like I have a, a perfect answer, but I do think of us as dialogue partners, not as people who are going to give an answer here, but as dialogue partners. And I wonder how we continue to think about our audience as a theologically diverse community. I think that we want to be able to present pieces, tell people why we're doing what we're doing and why we're not doing something else. I think it's okay for people to um, ask more or less of us. And I think that it's important how we respond. We are trying to create places of, of uh, congruence. We are trying to create spaces for us to be able to talk about that. And, and that's okay. It, it does mean that there will be disagreement. We can't always agree. Yeah. Um, how we want to deal with that disagreement is different. And that is about how we understand theology. Because yeah. if you understand theology as being uh, truth, and as being that which holds together um, the world and God and life, then, uh, and, and that which needs to be transmitted. You know, theology is a particular thing and it has to be transmitted a particular way. And you can't go away from that. That's one way to look at theology. Another way to look at theology is to say that theology is just a vehicle for, um, in, of interpretation. That it's not the revelation, right? And that we can have differing interpretations. Um, and that we can talk about those interpretations and that we can, in, in the, the space of talking about it with one another, we can discern more deeply. And we can use our minds. Uh, and we have to be able to say, this is what my mind, where my mind is at and this is why, but then also... You know, it's that reflection piece. And then this this is what my experience is, how my experiences come into play here. And we have and to my admit experiences are creating this as well. Yeah, and we have to admit, you and I come from particular vocations, right? Uh, we have been involved in theological education. You've been a pastor, and I don't wanna I don't wanna erase that. You've been a pastor. Uh, I've not been a pastor, I've I've worked in educational ministries my entire ministry experience. I did that rap thing for a little while. I guess I should say that, but I've never been a pastor, right? I've, I've, even when I've worked in churches, I've been responsible for educational aspects of the church, not um, pastoral in that, in that sense. Um, so it's been interesting to navigate. We have people listening to the Mestizo podcast who are pastors de la primera generación. We've got younger pastoral leaders who are wrestling with their newest ministry setting. And that already creates a, a dynamic between those two different kinds of pastor, right? A la vez, we have activists who listen to our show and they have a very different way of experiencing what we're talking about in the show. Mm -hmm. We got college students who are at the moment kind of exiled from the church, right? Detached from their their home churches. So we've got a lot of college students that listen to the show. And, and then the, the last group that I want to bring up are the artists. We've got tons of artists that listen to the show. And again, all of those groups experience and wrestle with the questions that we bring up in this podcast. But you also have scholars. Very differently. Adios. How did I forget the scholars? I don't know how you did that, bro. 
I don't know how I did that. And you're in a PhD program, you know. That's how, the, that's how I did it. Stop writing about this. My brain is fried. I, I can't even, <laughs> I, I don't want to think about scholarship right now. <laughs> no, but it's true. All these groups experience the conversations a little differently. And we and have all been... of these groups have different understandings of what theology is for and experiences of how theology works or doesn't work in their lives. That's right. And and that makes for how it is, you know, the lenses through which we're looking and the place um, that theology has in their lives. Yeah. And so I want to make an invitation in light of that, because we've been listening to our audience. We've always been careful to do that and to hear what's going on on your end. We know that for all of these groups, the one thing that they all have in common is that they're wrestling with who they are, both in their vocation and in relation to, you know, what we call here in the show, La Iglesia Metisa, but you can call it whatever. There are a number of ways of calling it. The Brown Church, the Liminal Church, the Church on the Hyphen, right? There's a number of ways to talk about this in-between church experience. Everyone listening to this podcast is wrestling with that sense of in-betweenness, that multiplicity that makes up their identity and trying to figure out how they relate to that multiplicity, right? How they relate to that alienation. But an invitation to our audience, right? We tell y'all at the end of every episode to write into us, to send us a note, leave us a voicemail. This season, especially as we get into yes. the really personal stuff, bring that up. Look, I, I'll say this. I, I talked to Elizabeth about this before the show. I'll say it on the show. I am not blind to the fact that there are there are people asking questions about, am I married a white woman? What does that what does that mean? What is that? What do we how do we think about that? I'm not I'm not ignorant to the fact that those conversations are having are happening. And Kelly and I talked and reflected about that often. Elizabeth, you and I have reflected about that often because you you married the inverse, right? You're married to a black man. Mm -hmm. And and that shapes the way that we think about and and care about certain ministry issues. And that I acknowledge also and the way shapes, that people respond to us. I was just about to say, shapes the way that people respond to us. There's a there's a legacy back there in terms of how people respond to this historically that I'm not blind to. And we want to be interacting with that stuff. Now I'm gonna be careful to to check someone if they say something crazy about Kelly, but that's a that's a different thing, right? Like we want to acknowledge the the dynamics that are at play as it relates to interracial marriage and how that shapes the show. We're, we're going to talk about our guests in a moment, but we are going to have the Bantams here, uh, Patora Gil Song Bantam and Dr. Brian Bantam on their book, Choosing Us. They're the next episode. We're going to talk about this stuff, interracial marriage, and get really real about some of this stuff. So write us, send us a note, leave us a voicemail. I'll give you the, the phone number at the end of the show here, but interact with us this season especially, because there's going to be some things that come up that we want to be in, in, in that conversation together with folks. I don't know if there's some of you, what more you want to say about that, Elizabeth? Well, see the podcast as a place for, um, for having dialogue, uh, real dialogue. So have dialogue with us. Um, and dialogue is not just talk for talk. Um, dialogue is so that something, so that we can come to new places, to new dimensions, to see new aspects, to new perspectives. Um, because that's what helps us to grow. I'm going to say something that may seem a little bit um, controversial for some people, but you know, here here's my theological take on, on on this piece. The Bible says that Jesus grew. He grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. 
um, he grew in before, favor. Yeah, before God and men, right? That's mm -hmm. it. Before God and men, yeah. But the thing is that he grew. We usually look at Jesus and we look at the divine part of Jesus at the cost of denying his humanity. What does it mean that he grew as a human being? If he grew as a human being, then he didn't just come into all of a sudden being a perfect being. He was, he was the best human being that was possible. But in order to come into that, he had to grow in perspective. He had to grow from every experience that he had. And that included his experience with the Samaritan woman and how that experience changed him, not only her. He had to grow from his experience with the Canaanite woman. We usually sort of uh, try to spiritualize why it is that he said to her, you know, um, it's not right for me to give what's meant for the children to the dogs. Mm -hmm. And she turns around and goes, yeah, that's okay. You want to call me a dog? That's fine, mijo. But uh, even the dogs get the crumbs under the children's table. I think he grew from that. Hmm. I think he grew from that, right? He came with his own biases. He came with his own defensiveness because that had been a community that for centuries had oppressed his people. So he had a little something, something there. Um, he didn't, he didn't sin with it necessarily, but it was there. And she turns around and she helps him to see and to have a different perspective. And he goes, wow, you know, that's a lot of faith you got that you, <laughs> that you believe that it's in true. spite of who you are and who I am, that I'm still going to heal your daughter. That's tremendous faith Yeah, that goes beyond our prejudices about each other. That takes us both to another place. And I think that that's what we're looking for in the podcast as, as, we, as we have these conversations, that we want them to be transformational spaces, uh, that that can't happen unless we are honest and we continue the dialogue even after we're on the podcast. So please do write in. Yeah. And we want to end this by talking about the dynamic we have with our guests. In light of the theological diversity that we've talked about, Elizabeth and I don't agree on everything. Right. Even this Jesus take that she just gave. Right. There's a little bit of a difference there, <laughs> even though I do agree that Jesus did grow, but a little bit of a difference there. But uh, I said to say, you're going to be thinking about that one tonight. Oh, I'm going to be thinking about it. I'm talking to Kelly about it as soon as we finish recording. Like, What do you think about this? But, uh, you know, one of the things that we're really going to lean into this season more than we have in previous seasons, even is that theological diversity and looking for points of convergence and looking to learn together. I like that language that you used earlier, points of convergence, points where we can meet, right? Mm -hmm. um, meet at the table together. We have an intern, by the way, uh, Kim Myers. She's been writing, uh, include, if you're on our meal, email list, you've, you've been getting her, she, she writes little devotionals attached to our announcements that we've been sending out at World Outspoken. And it's called A La Mesa. I love it, the way she's been doing it. We're meeting A La Mesa to talk and think together. Mm -hmm. But we're gonna be doing that a lot this season, meeting a la mesa to make sure that we think together well. And we're going to have guests that are going to be uh, theologically different, uh, generationally different, uh, racially different. We're going to have quite the mix this season, but we're not going to talk the ways that we have before about history of these kinds of things. We're going to talk about these unspoken dynamics that make us who we are, 
right? These things that shape how we are in relation to. That's the important part. Not shape who we are in a vacuum, but shape who we are in relation to the church, God, our neighbors, um, the world around us, our cities, et cetera, et cetera. And just want to name a few of the the guests that we plan on having. Just a few of them. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to spoil everything. There'll be some surprises. But we've already had a conversation with the Bantams. They're going to be joining us for the very next episode of the season to talk about choosing us. I get you the full title of the book here: "Choosing Us: Marriage and Mutual Flourishing in a World of Difference." It's a fantastic book that deals with marriage as an interracial couple, uh, marriage and how it's shaped the Bantams as they think about uh, the roles of men and women and uh, how that sort of gendered role gets reshaped in their minds or refashioned as they changed. Uh, we're, we're looking forward to getting into the weeds of, of the marriage conversation. So that's the very next episode. Just like last season, episodes are going to come out every two weeks. So you can expect that one to come out April 6th. So that conversation is forthcoming. But we're also going to have Dr. Alexia Salvatierra with us, a giant padrina of, mm-hmm. of, of community organizing community organizing, and gathering the church to, to really do that well. So we're going to have her join us. We're going to have, I'm going to say it this way, we're going to have our first white invited guest on the Mestizo podcast, Pastor David Swanson, author of Rediscipling the White Church. Uh, we're going to talk with him about what it means as he, as he has thought about a rediscipled white church, right? What does that mean for that church to relate to those others who are walking in the borderlands or that in-between space? What does it look like for, for a brother like Pastor Swanson to operate in that space? So Pastor Swanson is going to be joining us. Alexia Selvatierra is going to be joining us. The Bantams will be joining us. We'll have Teresa Delgado, a Puerto Rican scholar who wrote a decolonial Puerto Rican theology. Uh, she is... Uh, if I understand correctly, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this, Elizabeth, but she's Roman Catholic and she has yes. been for a long mm-hmm. time. And so she's going to be joining us. And that's going to be a, even that is a, a theologically diverse or different way of engaging. And so we have a number of guests from a number of different kinds of spaces that are going to be joining us to talk about the many varied ways in which dynamics affect who they are and how they think about those dynamics as they do ministry in the ways that God has called them to serve. It's going to be a very exciting time, um, one that will challenge all of us, even those of us who are um, the ones having these conversations with our guests. I'm sure that both Emmanuel and I are ready to be challenged as well along this um, road with you. So if you feel challenged, know that we are also feeling challenged. Amen to that. Well, speaking of that challenge, let me give you how you might work to challenge us, right? You can leave us a message at 312-725-2995-312-725-2995. Leave us a 30-second voicemail with your name, city, y pregunta, and we'll discuss it on the last episode of the season like we've done in every other season. You can also follow World Outspoken at World Outspoken on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. By the way, I no longer understand Instagram. I know I'm supposed to because I'm the young one between us, Elizabeth, but that doesn't make any sense to me anymore. I get on Instagram and I go, I don't I don't know what I'm doing. So if you've if you've reached out to me on Instagram, maybe 
try a different venue because that's not the way to get a hold of me anymore. <laughs> but you can follow World Last Spoken on Instagram. There's someone that does know what they're doing with Instagram who is active on World Last Spoken. So at World Last Spoken, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, follow us on there, interact with us there. You can also submit a question using the link that's in our show notes if you'd rather send in your question via email. So those are the ways that you can interact with us. Uh, as I mentioned, we're going to have the Bantams on the next episode of the season. And also, the last thing that I'll say before we wrap up here for this episode, uh, World Last Spoken has a few different opportunities that are open. We have a scholar and residence opportunity that's available that people can apply to now. Deadline is coming up here April 15th. There is a student writer's submission competition that's going on. It starts here in a couple of weeks. So be looking out for that. So you'll want to follow us on social media because there are a few things happening at World Outspoken that invite you to, to be a part of the ministry with us. And don't forget, last but not least, of course, if you are looking for training related to these issues, real training related to these issues, go to learn.worldoutspoken.com where you can check out courses. There are three on there now. There are two more coming out here soon, some more coming in the fall. So we're going to be building a catalog of courses dealing with the issues that you face, the challenges that you face as you engage in ministry in these in-between spaces. Elizabeth, you get the final word. <laughs> Just be open. Openness is something that uh, makes us feel afraid. Let's get beyond, let's navigate beyond the fear so that we can come to spaces of greater love not the kind of love that's fluffy, but the kind of real love that helps us to transform the world. Amen, amen. <laughs>